0: about a professor, college professor, he was known for his um, anti-God rants, his atheistic um, messages in college, that he was out walking, um, decided to go into one of our national forests Got out there looking and just enjoying the beauty and the gorgeousness and the grandeur of the trees and everything and heard um, a snap behind him in the woods and turned and saw a large bear and begin to run for his life. But it, the best he could do, um, the bear was on him in no time. He fell to the ground on his back and he screamed out, he said, God, help me. And the bear, had his claw was extended and just froze. The little leaf that was coming from the tree just stopped right there in midair. That rushing creek behind us to his side on the right just stopped. The bear froze. And a voice from heaven said, all of your life, you've told everyone I don't exist. That my creation was an accident. And now when you're in trouble, you're praying for me to help you. And he said, well, God, I guess it would be hypocritical for me to become a believer. But can you, can you make the bear a Christian? There was kind of a pause from heaven. God said, okay. And then everything went back. The leaf began to fall. The bear's hand began to extend. The water was rushing. And the bear pulled his paw back into him. Professor laid his head back on the ground and breathed a sigh of relief, opened his eyes and saw the bear. put his paws together and said, thank you, Lord, for this meal which you've prepared for us. <laughs> I, I just love that so much. Okay, sorry, I just had to share it. Wasn't that fantastic? Aren't you feeling better? All right. <laughs> okay, now, now. Now you've got all your mind is clear and we're ready to get into the precious Word of God. Wonderful Word of God. So, remember our last conversation a week ago was on the oneness of God, the nature of God. That was the bullet point, the subtext, the nature of God. I'm praying the Lord would bless this time that when you'd walk away, you'd have a stronger more solid understanding of the nature of Jesus. The beautiful thing about the Word of God is it gives us a, 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 I guess, suppose the best thing I can think of is a platform like the one behind me to stand on. When I know the Word of God, when I'm solid in the Word of God, all kinds of other things are wonderful and exciting and I don't have to worry about them when I worship. When I pray, when I lift my hands, I'm not confused about who I'm praying to or what I should say or all those things. But when I have the foundation solid of understanding his nature, oh, it just blesses every part of my life. Without it, it's shaky. You see what I'm saying? And it, it's hard to see. So there are foundations God gives us in our lives. One of the foundations is this church itself. We're blasty part of that, aren't we? You're not on a... A platform right now physically but if you were stood on one you could say someone built that prayed for it fasted gave for it so i could be on it. and in a sense you are on one right now that others have come before you and others in the same church and pastors that prayed and fasted and 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 men and of god that have given their life that's a foundation i've got a foundation of my wife jennifer who's here i'm so thankful for her in my life it makes a it makes a huge difference that god's given me a girl that we can go hand-in-hand with do the things of the Lord. I can be here and be a lot more comfortable because I have a great marriage to an awesome girl. If if that struggles, then I, even though you don't see it, that makes this struggle. You know what I'm saying? Foundations make a difference. So in the same way, understanding the nature of Jesus in a core sense, even if it's not exciting, even if it's not going to make you run the aisles, if you want to, you know, God tells you to do that. I mean, well, maybe that's fine, but the the point is, understanding that allows me to later in services or times of prayer or worship to realize, oh, I love you, Lord. I realize who you are. Okay, so let's jump in. Colossians chapter two, verse fifteen is a key verse, and I'd like for you all, if you wouldn't mind, we're going to put the the blank in there first, and then we're going to read it all together. All right. The the blank is fullness. 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 And that word gives a sense of quality. It cannot mean the same thing as all of God, right? Remember from last week? God has no shape. God cannot fit in all of his universe. God is without ability to measure. God has no body. God has no voice. We've understood those things. So therefore, how could... In Jesus Christ, to be, be God, well, only the fullness or the same quality of God is in Jesus Christ, right? Let's read that verse together. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. It's beautiful. That, once you get that, you realize, oh, okay. All of this, now this is a poor example, but all of this air, all this space, time, and matter... Now has a form in front of me. Jesus Christ is not divisible. You cannot slice him in half. Your spirit, and that's flesh. He's all man and all God all at the same time. but that body I now see is the manifestation, the Word in flesh, the Godhead in fullness, bodily. OK? Oh, sorry. It's verse, I'm sorry, it's verse 9. Colossians 2 and 9. That was a test. And only a few of you passed it. That's Colossians 2 and 9. It wasn't a test. I don't think it was. Okay, now let's go to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. We're going to do this one later. We're going to read it through just so you have the basis of it. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor. The mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Isaiah said this. Here's the prophecy. Therefore, the Lord himself, that's the word for El or God, will give you this sign. Here's your sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. That I or E is the same word. It's just different language, Hebrew and Greek. Because in Matthew, it says this. Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which is spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Somebody say it with me. God with us. That is understanding the nature of Jesus is, oh, there's God with us. Now I see him. That's God with us. Emmanuel, in either language, is God, God like one, the mighty one God, the one true God, Jehovah. That's the definition of that word. It is Jehovah with us. Yes, it would be appropriate to say that. It is the one true God with us. That's true. It's the mighty one God with us. It's the God like one in our presence. It's literally, it's literally correct to say. That when you saw Adam before sin, there was a representation of God. You could have said, now I know who you look like. I didn't see it at first, because it's a weird shape now. But now I realize, I see it. There's God. You're the imprint of God. But after the fall, sin corrupted all that. Correct? That's that's the corruption we live with today. The Bible says, there was a second man, Adam. Now, all of angels all principalities all spirits and all humans should recognize and look and say oh oh now I see who that is I didn't see it at first because you look like everybody else that's God now I recognize who you are that's God that's God with us that's Jehovah with us that's God in the flesh Isaiah says it like this say to them that are a fearful heart be strong and fear not behold your God will come with vengeance Even God with a recompense, he will come and save you. Wait a minute. Are you sure that's what it says? Look at it again. Your God will come, Your even God with a recompense, he will come and save you. That's God saying, I am coming. I'm not sending another. I'm not sending number two. I'm not sending a junior. It's important to understand, I will come. I'm going to save you. Here's what will happen. Here's some distinguishing marks you'll know when God has come to save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be open and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as an heart. Another word for deer. The tongue of the dumb sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert. That's that prophecy. I want you to understand when you see these things happen, then God is coming. God is in your presence. That's why the people were of two minds, and some saying, this Jesus, he's, he has a devil. All the religious leaders don't like him. Another said, but can a man that has a devil do the things he's been doing? And, and if Messiah came, would he do anything more wondrous than all the works he's been doing? They kept remembering these verses, and they're bother, bothered by them. How, how, can, how can we deny this man doing this, even if it's not in the way we thought it should be? Isn't that incredible how the Lord comes into our life, and it's not the way we thought it should be? That's not just for them. We still have that happen. We still experience that. God comes in. God moves. God does his thing. God has a program, and it's not the script we gave God to We've told him, we do it like this, Lord. He does it some other way. <laughs> I'll never forget. I was outside of a church in a rough part of town in Massachusetts, in Lynn, Massachusetts, 18 years ago. I was brand new there. I didn't know anybody at all. I was walking down the sidewalk, and some young guy came up to me and started talking to me. And he started talking about God. And he stuttered very badly. And he struggled getting the words out. Stuttered and just was talking to me. And I was listening to him. I didn't know. My first inclination was, this is a guy just wanting some money in a big city. You know, wanting something, wanting, you know, alcohol or whatever it was. But then he started talking about God. And then he started demonstrating with his feet. He said... When you don't know what to do in a very stuttering, it was hard. It was, it was almost like I have to pay very close attention to figure out what words because it was like uh, this one and then there's that one and then another word. When you don't know what to do, you stand still and then you take a step in faith and then you stand still and then you believe God and pray and you take a step in faith and then we talked a little bit. I tried to receive him. You know you know, what kind of person I am. I'm not going to just be mean to him, but I wasn't like, I don't know what this is. And we went into the church, did the thing. I don't remember ever seeing him again. Maybe he's around there. I don't know. But God sent me a stuttering prophet that I. It wasn't the way I thought that should go, you know? God comes into our life, and in your life, he might be right now speaking to you in a way that's off the script you think it should be. God did it to them, and they didn't accept Jesus. Well, he looks just like all of us. He, he's a normal working guy. He is not rich or wealthy or powerful. And he sure isn't even preaching or teaching about taking over the Romans. He's not talking about throwing over the government like he, we think he's supposed to. Yet the Bible says, John says, he's of you and with you, and you know him not. He's right in your midst. You don't even see him. If we had a picture of Jesus and 20 Jewish guys from that time all together, you wouldn't know which one was Jesus. You might say, well, it couldn't be him. He's, I don't know, there's no one, this guy stands out. This guy, he looks powerful. Well, that guy looks important. And this guy looks like he's got, you know, he's been working out a lot and or whatever, Jesus, the Bible says in Isaiah didn't have form or coming that said you would desire him. That means there's nothing about him you would say, Oh, I'm just drawn to this guy. He's he's gotta be the new top dog in town. Okay, well, that wasn't even on any of my planning. I'm just gonna say, Lord, let it be. I I, I don't want to miss the Lord, do you? I don't want to miss the Lord because he doesn't do it the way I want him to do it, when, where, how? Jesus have your way. Listen to Isaiah 40. Here's another sign that's going to happen. Here's another indication. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness. Prepare ye the way of the Lord, and make straight in the desert a highway for our God. You want to align that word God? You see the word God? Not for God's son or for God's helper or for the second or any assistant, but for God. Did that happen? Remember John the Baptist? It did happen. He was the one. He says, I am a one crying in the wilderness. I'm going to prepare a way for God. Micah said this about a city. But thou Bethlehem, Ephrata, thou thou be little among the thousands of Judah, a small little village, yet out of thee shall come he, shall he come forth unto me, that is to be a ruler in Israel. Uh-oh, we're talking about Jesus. Everyone's okay with that so far, right? Bethlehem, Jesus, Christmas time, 80 plus days away or less. Oh boy, that was, I shouldn't have said that. That's horrible. How many days away is it? Anybody know right now? Tell me fast, go. Okay, Google. How far away is it? Go, come on, someone tell me. Do your, do your phone thing, get your magic phone out. Magic phone. How far away is Christmas? 55, carry the 6. 2, divide by 3. 69 days. 69 days. Panic has just seized the crowd. (laughs) So we know that we'll be singing about Bethlehem very soon. 69 days. We'll be singing about it probably before then. So we've got that. That's Jesus. He's a ruler. Okay, I'm good with that. But the verse isn't in there, does it? Whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. Wow. Did Jesus have a beginning? Yes and no. His human body, of course, had a beginning. He was born a baby. He started, right? As God in the flesh, he has always been. Jesus as a baby or a teenager has not always been. Correct? All right. And they stoned Stephen. What was Stephen doing? Calling upon God. All right, I want you, let's just read this together. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God. Hold on a minute. Wait, wait. I am so thankful for the 34% that are reading with me. Can you all read with me? I don't know if we had 100%. This building would just burst into flames. Holy Ghost flames. All right, ready? Here we go. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Calling upon God. When you say, Lord Jesus... Hopefully it's not just when you're being stoned to death. But if you just say Lord Jesus, you are calling on God. Whether it's in prayer or praise, whether it's in the altar or in your living room, when you say Jesus, you're calling on God. What did what was written to the overseers, the under shepherds? Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with His own blood. Whoa, wait a minute. Last week, God is not a person. God does not have a body. God does not have a voice or shape. God certainly does not have blood. Right? God does not have a right hand or right side. God doesn't have huge nostrils that breathe water out of the Red Sea. God doesn't have immense feet that he props upon the earth. God doesn't have eyeballs in every place because God's a spirit, right? Therefore, how could God have blood? Because God came in flesh. God came in flesh. Jesus is all God and all man all at the same time. God took on human flesh. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19, to wit that God was in Christ. Reconciling the world unto himself. Boy, that is, that's tough, isn't it? Look at that again. That seems like there should be another word there. Back up. To wit, or to understand, or to get this knowledge, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto not themselves, not the two of them, not a tandem, not a team, not working together, unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them and has committed unto us, that's you and me, the word of reconciliation. That's putting back together again. So how did that happen? Because God took on human flesh. Hebrews 10 and 20 says, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. The veil of the tabernacle that covered the holy holies is compared in this passage to the flesh of Jesus Christ. Whew, boy, I feel the Holy Ghost underneath that veil. And veil that was torn there and torn on the cross. Veil that was ripped. Veil that was torn for us. There is a holy of holies that's called That's God in the flesh. Jesus was all of God and all of man all at the same time. He could get tired and he could also speak and command demons to come out of people. He could get hungry and yet have to, and could break bread and multiply it. How could he do all those things? Jesus prayed. Why would he pray if he's God in the flesh? Because all God who fills all space and time, still was always there. Flesh prayed to Spirit. Flesh cried out, I'm thirsty. Flesh was tired. Flesh, flesh at the point of separation of the Spirit on the cross. Said, Father, uh, my, uh, sorry, my brain is not working with my mouth. But he cried about being forsaken by God. Someone tell me the phrase. My God, my God, why is thou forsaken me? Thank you. I was in the middle of it and couldn't get the back of it to start around the front of it. Anyway, (laughs) sometimes it happens. Why did he say that? Because there had to be a... Because God can't die. God cannot be killed. So spirit has to separate away from flesh, and flesh is left by itself. Why would Jesus need to fast? Why did he go to pray? Why did he have so many times he prayed early in the morning? Why was was it his custom that they got used to it? Why did Jesus, before he made a major decision, had an all-night prayer meeting? Yes, it was an example for us, but he also had a flesh. He had flesh. He was God in the flesh. Genesis 22, Abraham doesn't even know what he's saying prophetically. They're talking about a physical animal, but God's saying something else. He said to his son, Abraham says, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them, together. God did provide for Abraham and his son, but he also provided for us. He provided himself. 2 Corinthians, it says this. I want you to read it with me. Ready? In whom the God of this world... Hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Back that up. The light of the glorious gospel of Christ is the image of God. The image of God. Who do you see when you get to heaven? You'll see the image of God. You cannot see the unseen. You cannot see the invisible. And that's what God has called over and over and over in Scripture. Who is the image of God? Jesus is the image of God. He's the only one who will be on the throne. That's the image of God. That's not a separate, junior, different, friend, companion, equal to God. That is the image of God. That's the invisible touching that paper and leaving an image That we can now see. (laughs) That's the imprint. That's the expressed image of his person is literally the concept of the signet ring in the wax that's pressed down on the letter. And when it comes back, there's the image. It's as though to us humans, we can't see the hand of God. It's spirit coming down and pressing that image into Mary. And now we have a baby being born. We say, oh, now I can see God. There's God right there. There's the image of God. That doesn't take away that God is in every place in all time. He's still everywhere when Jesus is walking and praying and sleeping and talking. But that's the image of God. All right. Hebrews 10 and 5. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he said, Sacrifice an offering thou wouldest not, but a body thou hast prepared me. When he came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offerings thou wouldest not, but a body thou hast prepared me. Wow, what a fantastic, awesome revelation to realize that body of Jesus Christ is God putting on flesh. Mm. Now, the revelation of Jesus Christ, the revelation of Jesus Christ. When I read this, it just was so exciting to me, and I pray it is to you. Revelation 1 and 1 says this. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servant things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. That's the very first book, a verse of the book of Revelation. What revelation are we talking about? We're talking about the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not a revelation of anyone else. That's what the book's about. It's revealing to us Jesus Christ. That's what the entire book's about. It's revealing to us. Look at the word revelation defined. Laying bare. Making naked. A disclosure of truth. Instruction. Manifestation. Appearance. It's seeing clearly. Oh, that's the revelation of Jesus Christ. I pray with all my heart that if you don't have it, before this evening is over, you'll have a revelation of Jesus Christ, to see him differently, to say, oh, I, I see you clearly now, Lord. I didn't see you as like before, but now I realize who you are. John said, I wrote everything that God gave me to write for this reason in John 20, 31. These are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, or Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have a life through his name. Son of God in the Bible equals God in the flesh. Son of God in the Bible, over and over and over and over and over, and over again, equals God in the flesh. Mm. Here's some more of that revelation about Jesus Christ. In chapter 22, And there shall be no more curse. This is in that heavenly city. But the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. Seems like that word should be them, but it's not, is it? Because there's only one God, right? There's only one. And they shall see his face. Wait a minute, whose face are we going to see? God doesn't have a face because God is a spirit. And his name shall be in their foreheads. What is his name? What's his name? His name, if you make it and I make it, will be in your forehead, not anybody else's. I don't know how it'll be in my forehead. I don't know what that means. If it'll be like a chip inside my forehead or written on my forehead, I don't know what that means. But in a sense, it means I am carrying his name. It's a, it's a representation more than actual writing. It's the concept. I am his. I belong to him. Who is the Lord God of the Holy Prophets. Revelation goes on to say, And he said unto me, These saints are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the Holy Prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must, be short, must shortly be done. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. The Lord God of the holy prophets is Jesus, it is none other than Jesus Christ, because He is God in the flesh. You can't separate him away from God. He can't be sliced, diced, and split apart from God, right? All right, we're doing good. Say to somebody, we're doing good. All right, I've got a little more. I'm just just—I'm so thankful for the Word of God. I'm thankful for the Word of God. It changes your mind. It changes your life. It's a transformational thing. It is the name of Jesus that you'll be hated for. All nations, the Bible says at one point, we'll be hated for His name's sake. Not, not anything, not in titles, not because you love God. Not because they're good people, but for the name of Jesus. It matters to have a revelation of the nature of Jesus. It really is a core belief that holds us all together. Amen? And guess who really knew what he was talking about? They were not at any point confused what he was claiming. The Jews understood the claims Jesus made. They understood the claims he made. They didn't like it. They didn't mostly didn't believe it. They actually fought against it. They wanted to quiet him down and eventually got their way, at least they thought, to kill him. But they had no confusion about the claims he was making. In John 8, they said to him, Where is your father? Jesus answered, You don't know me, are my father? If you knew me you would have known my father also. It's impossible to know Jesus and not know God, right? Because Jesus is God in the flesh. These words spake Jesus in the treasury as he taught in the temple. And no man laid hands on him. For his hour was not yet come. Then said Jesus again unto them, I go my way and you shall seek me. And shall die in your sins. Whither I go, you cannot come. The Jews said, you talking about suicide? Is he gonna kill himself? Will Will he kill himself? Is he talking about just, what is he saying? Because he said, Whither I go, you cannot come. And he said unto them, You are from beneath, you're from the earth, I am from above. You're of this world. I'm not of this world. I said therefore unto you that you shall die in your sins. And that's true of every human being. It's important, church, to realize without Jesus Christ, everybody's lost. I'm as lost as anybody. Do you understand what I'm saying? Without Jesus Christ, there's no good enough scale. There's no gradient on the scale. No one has done good enough things to make it, to be okay. We're all destined to die in our sins our parents Adam and Eve sinned and poisoned the water source and everyone who's been born drinks in effect from that water and we suffer the consequences of sin sickness and disease and problems and all the evils of humanity but mostly no matter what good we do in our own we cannot save ourselves what use is there of a savior if you can do it yourself be good enough. Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Prove yourself. Do enough good things. There's not anybody that can do enough good things. Now, as I've grown in the Lord, I've realized in my years understanding that it is still noteworthy to do good things. Sometimes we can get off of that and say, What well, you don't have to do good things to be safe, so you know, I'm not really have to help people or do anything. That's not true. That's an expression of, of Jesus Christ in our life, right? But I cannot substitute one for the other. There are many people who attempt to do that very thing who would say to you, well, I'm a good person. They compare to others. There's many that like to give church or the pastor or an evangelist things. I, I was standing right outside of a church parking lot when a man came up with watermelons in his truck. Whole big thing full of watermelons. And he came up, and the pastor was standing next to me of the Southeast Missouri Church. And the man came up and said, Pastor, I've got some watermelons for you. And the pastor, I guess, had a one of those, you know, inklings in the spirit. Put his hand up and then put his hand to Spock. He said, well, he said, sir, thank you. I appreciate that. Are you giving me this watermelon because you, you want to do something good for me to kind of earn your way to heaven? Or are you trying to just give me a watermelon? He said, well, I got, you know, watermelons. I'm I'm a good guy, and I like to help people. I like to help the pastor. So I don't know what he ever did about the watermelon or not, but it was very obvious right away. His giving was at least a string to God. See? I give the pastor a watermelon. I'm doing good things. I'm not like those other people out there. Isn't that amazing? The Bible says every way of man is right in his own eyes. <laughs> We all have someone to compare to. At least I'm not as bad as. And I'm not done as worse as. Do you, when you understand? It's as though all of us, all of us are in a, in a place of sinking out in the ocean. And, and if you can swim a hundred feet and you can swim ten miles, it doesn't matter if we're a thousand miles from safety. We're all going to die. Do you understand? Jesus said to them something so offensive. It made them so mad. He said, all of you, with all of your religious efforts, and all of your work, and all of your praying, all the fasting, all the things you're doing, all your giving, all of your walking around in holy clothing, and all of your things that are tied in your hair, you are all going to die in your sins. That, that was so shocking to them. It was as though they, their, their words caught in their throat. Jesus is saying to them, I am only the door. You've got to come in by me. There's no other way. Everybody needs the Lord. Amen? And that means us too. All of us. Everybody. All right, so we're back here in John 8 still. Jesus says, For if you believe not that I am He, that word right there you can circle, He, you shall die in your sins. And they said, Who are you? What are you saying? And Jesus said, even the same I said to you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge you of, but he that sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I have heard of him. And they understood not that he speak to them of the Father. God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. So let's follow Jesus with two more chapters later. He says to the same Jews, I am my father or one. Then they took up stones to stone him. Jesus answered, many good works which I have showed you for my father. Many good works. Jesus did many good works. He healed. He helped. He loved. He touched. He had compassion. Of which of these works do you stone me? The Jews answered him and said, for a good work we stone thee not. But for blasphemy, because thou, being a man, makest thyself God. Do you understand? They knew what the I am was. That I am is the Almighty God of the Old Testament. That's the I am that's saying to Moses. It's the I am. And Jesus saying, I am. That same word, when he says, I am, he's using the same exact word. I am God, Jesus was saying we know that only God can forgive sins. And Isaiah, it says, I, even I, God says, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for my own sake and will not remember thy sins. That's God's business to forgive sins. Not any human being. No one can forgive sins but God. Amen? No one can forgive sins but God. Yet in Luke chapter 5, what happens that rocks the world of the listeners, those who are watching him? And when Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the man on the cot that was had let, been let down by the four friends, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this which speaketh blasphemous? This is my version of them reasoning. I'm whispering up here to kind of get the idea. I don't know if it works for you. But for me, when I read this, that's how I read out loud. I start to whisper. I'm thinking, because they didn't say it out loud. They're whispering. they're thinking it. But I can't think it, and you know what I'm saying. So I've got to whisper it. <laughs> Sometimes I crack myself up. Okay. <laughs> Lord, have mercy. Help my brain, Lord, right now. Who is this speaking blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Only God can do that. Jesus perceived their thoughts. Hmm. Wow. That's a whole another section right there we can get on. Jesus can't perceive thoughts. He answered saying to them, Why reason ye in your hearts? Whether it's easy to say, Tell me which one is easier. Give me the weight. Give me the value. Give me the sliding scale. Your sins be forgiven you. Or rise up and walk. Which one is easier? Well, According to the Jewish custom, it should be easier to say, "Rise up and walk." It'd be much harder to say, "Your sins will be forgiven you," because you can't. Only God can do that. People can pray and be healed, but that's not God. But He said, "But that you may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins." He said to the sick of the palsy, "I say unto thee, arise, take up thy couch, and go into thine house." The Jews realized that Jesus claimed to be God, the Father, and Jehovah in flesh. They realized that. It's amazing that many people today don't realize that's what he claimed. Now, whether you accept his claims or not, that's up to you. But Jesus didn't claim anything less. He did not claim any subordinate role. I am that 's the title of God you don 't touch those words, but he did i 'll forgive sins that you no one does that there are a lot of, a lot of Pharise- a lot of rabbis in those days, a lot of people that believed in healing, but no ones t- forgive sin that 's not a territory you cross only God can do that mm. the incarnation. we cannot see the invisible God, so God made an exact Likeness, The Bible says it like this, the express image of his person, of himself in flesh, impressed his very nature in flesh, came himself in flesh, so that we could see and know him. Hebrews 1 says it like this, Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world's. Who, this is the, this is Jesus, that express image, being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he himself had purged our sins, sat down on the right hand, or that's a place of power or authority of the majesty on high. Now let's go back. We're going to take just a minute and we're going to review this wonderful passage of Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. All right. So I want you to read this with me. We're going to read it slowly so we get every part of it. Are you with me? Okay. Got your reading glasses on? Can you see clearly? Okay. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, The Prince of Peace. Okay. Now this is Isaiah's prophecy. Hundreds of years. I'm not sure exactly. I think 850, 950 years before Jesus was born. So the first question is, who will be born? Go back to the passage and realize it says a child will be born. That is a beginning. That's a start. That's a moment in time. Every one of you hopefully know when you were born. That's how old, how you know how old you are now. There are people, unfortunately, that I've met that say, I think I'm either 73 or 75, depending if you believe my mother or my father. <laughs> I met them that say that. I'm not sure. I've seen the documents, and they're, you know, maybe from another country, or we're really poor. So I'm in, I'm in between 73 and 75 anybody like that before? Not really sure of their age? Yeah. Some of you have another problem that's different. Some of you can't remember how old you are. I and mean, that's okay. You, you maybe maybe there's a senior moment. I do no. People say, I'm this old, and then you say, No, you're not. Someone that loves you says, No, you're not that old. Oh, yeah, that's right. I guess I gotta add one to that. So the child is born is a beginning point. The body of Jesus Christ has a beginning. Has Jesus always been? Wasn't Jesus slain for the foundation of the world? Of course, but not as a baby. Jesus is God in the flesh. There was no other one for God to turn to and say, this is my son, this is me, we're together up here. No, God all by himself. Isaiah says over and over again. All right? Who benefits by this child being born? The Bible says it's unto us, unto us that son's given. That's for you and for me. You get the gift, and you and you and you. Now the government on his shoulder, that means he'll be responsible for leading the people. It gives an indication of to have rule or have dominion to be in charge. Now his name, his name, it doesn't say his names. It says singular, right? One, his name Shall be called. The prophet did not know the actual name of the coming child. He knew it was important, and he knew what that child's name would mean. He understood there was meaning of that name. But he didn't he knew the nature of it. God spoke to him and gave him the concept of the character, but not the name. His name was important. When you see this child's name, you'll be saying these words. When you speak that name out you'll be saying wonderful. Wonderful is to wonder. Ah. Oh. To wonder of acts God, I'm sorry, of God's acts of judgment and redemption. To wonder at God's God's work to see it. That's wonderful of God's actions in his judgment. Counselor. To advise, consult, to give counsel, give purpose devise, plan. When you say this child's name, you'll be seeing he's a counselor. He directs. He plans. He gives purpose. He gives counsel. He gives all the things you'd want with a counselor. Then the mighty God. And you know why I didn't write anything next to mighty God? When I look up the words mighty and God and strong, guess what they mean? Mighty and God. Shockingly, it literally means exactly that. All the other ones do too, but this is just as straightforward as it can be. L or God, mighty God, the mighty. When you say that name, you'll be describing this child as the mighty God. You'll be describing this child as the counselor, as wonderful, as the everlasting father. When you speak this child's name, you'll be describing him as. Everlasting Father. You can say his name, or you can say Everlasting Father, and you're saying the same thing. Wow, isn't that amazing? You can say Everlasting Father, and you can say his name, and you're speaking the same thing. That's in perpetuity. It's forever, everlasting, continuing future. And lastly, when you speak this name, you are literally saying the Prince of Peace. That's a captain. The chief of completeness, soundness, welfare, and peace. What amazing, wonderful God we serve. What an amazing moment it had to be for Jesus to come into that synagogue where he was consistently apart. Check it out sometime. Read about it. Synagogues were set up wherever there was enough Jewish men. That means you had to be, I think, 13 years and older. So I think i 'm trying to remember my mind just did this research a few months ago, but I believe like twelve Jewish men, as long as you 're twelve, there could be a synagogue. synagogues were all over the place, but you belonged to a synagogue, and you went back to the synagogue when Jesus went to the synagogue, it wasn 't a fresh, unusual place to go. he went back to his synagogue and part of the service was a readings of the the Torah or the Old Testament, which we have, and then was passed around so you could actually see when your Saturday was that you'll be reading. Okay, that's that's your thing. You'll be reading on that day. You'll be reading that part, and it would it would just go around in a large, large circle. So Jesus comes in. The Bible says he's in there. He's um, in his synagogue just kind of being a part, doing his typical thing. I want you to go with me in your Bible real quickly, and we're going to read what Jesus read. We're going to see what he said. Let's go, I think, help me do this, somebody. I believe it is um, in Luke chapter 4. There we go. All right? Now, the amazing part of this, the amazing thing is that this wasn't an, it wasn't an accident. This was the hand of God, the timing, just right. Jesus returned in verse 14 to look for in the spirit, power of the spirit, the Galilee. There went on a fame of him through all the region round about. He taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. That's his home synagogue. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. Jesus is just there, just going to read some random verse, right? No. There was delivered unto him the this, this scroll, which they kept very carefully, in the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he opened the book or that scroll, he found the place. No verse, no verse numbers, just had to find the place. It's got to be pretty... Pretty, you, know, you know your way around to find it without any verse numbers. If I take your verses and chapters out and say, All right, find me that spot in Isaiah. Just got to just keep on going. It may take you a day or two, you'll find it. When he opened the book, he found the place where it was written. And this is what Jesus read. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And he hath sent me to heal the book and heart him. To preach deliverance to the captives. And recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty them that are bruised. To preach the acceptable year of the Lord. He closed the book. Rolled the scroll up. Gave it again to the minister. Or someone that was in charge of that part of the session. And sat down. Everybody's eyes were on him. And he began to say. This day. Is this scripture. Fulfilled in your ears. That is an indication of Messiah. That's Messiah coming. That's God in flesh. And they all bear him witness and wonder to the gracious words proceed of his mouth. And they got upset and said, don't we know this kid? Isn't this Joseph's boy? He works here. We know all about him. They got very angry. After he gave his little message, they wanted to kill him in verse 29. But the Bible says he passed through the midst of them. He escaped there, wanting to kill him. Why would they want to kill him? Why did they get so mad? They knew something that some people still struggle with. He was not claiming to be God's friend, God's helper, God's subordinate, God's number two, God's assistant, God's son, God's another friend of God. No, he was claiming, I am God in the flesh. Oh, stand with you right now. I just feel the Lord in this place. You are still that Savior. Someone just close your eyes, lift your hands to heaven. Jesus, you're here. When I call on that name, Jesus, I call on Counselor people in this room right now need a counselor for their life. They need you to direct them, to consult with them, to give them a purpose, a plan and direction. You are the Prince of Peace. I speak Jesus as the Prince of Peace. coming like a rushing, roaring peace into their life, driving back every fear and oppression of the enemy, driving back every dark cloud of fear and worry and torment. I speak the name of Jesus. Prince of Peace, come right now this place. I speak the name of Jesus, the everlasting Father. Jesus, you are the Father of all creation. You are the awesome King, the awesome God. Move into our life. Oh, God, you are the mighty God. You are mighty and powerful and able to do amazing, incredible things beyond my comprehension, beyond my ability to describe correctly. Oh, you are a great God. I speak your name, Jesus. Someone right now, come on, speak up that name, Jesus, in faith. At the name of Jesus every knee will bow I speak that name of Jesus that every demon in hell trembles at the name of Jesus and by faith in that name can heal deliver save and transform oh Jesus in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus on the authority of the word of God and by the power of the name of Jesus Yes, Lord, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, you are a saving God. You're a saving God. You're a delivering God. Oh, in Jesus' name, somebody clap your hands to the Lord. Clap your hands, Lord. I give you applause, Lord. I thank you. I clap my hands to you, God. I thank you. I thank you for your merciful kindness of my life. I thank you for your power of your name. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. Oh, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous in the are saved. Thank you, Lord, for your name. The powerful name of Jesus. The powerful name of Jesus. I thank you for it. Thank you, Lord. Lord, let your word, in a sense, stay with us. Get into our heart and mind. Settle every question, every worry, every fear, every, everything we've had slightly off, Lord, in our life. Let the word of God do a work in us. Your word, Lord, affects us. Your word intends to change us. Your word is intended to to help us, to move us from darkness to light. You are the one that when you came into their coast, it said light is sprung up to those who sat in the region and shadow of death. Let light be spring up in my mind, in the minds of the people of this building right now. I pray in Jesus' name, cover us. Keep us, protect us this week. Let the hand of the Lord be with us. When we call upon you, let it be with a near revelation and saying, Jesus, I'm calling upon God. I'm saying that name, that holy name. Let it be in my car. Let it be in the in kitchens, Lord. Let it be at workplaces. Let it be as they the close your eyes before they go to bed. Oh, I speak your name, Jesus, over this bedroom. Let the name of Jesus be over our finances, over our children. The name of Jesus be over our health and our mind, Lord. Every worry and every, every, every problem we fight, let the name of Jesus be the weapon we use. Let us speak it out of our mouth freely. Uh, we are people of the name. We believe in your powerful name and what you only can do. I pray these things in Jesus' name. I feel the Holy Ghost here. If I could have you just for a little bit, entertain the Lord just for a minute. Oh, Lord, I love you. I love you, Jesus.